0: Well, guys, welcome back to Big Truths, our journey through Second and Third John, and by Leeman and Jude. And tonight we'll be beginning the book of Jude, and we'll be going through Jude for the next three Wednesdays, counting tonight. And our speaker this evening is one of our newest members, Pastor Carl Caspic. Has a Facebook group with sixteen hundred members. He uh, has pastored from California to Maine, adults and children, puppet ministry. How many puppets do you have?
1: 220.
0: 220 puppets. He has three children, one of whom is adopted, six grandchildren, and a wonderful wife named Julie, and they live in one of our roughest neighborhoods, so we feel like the Lord sent him here to be missionaries, and we're so delighted they feel connected here. So Carl, come right on and bring us the word, brother.
2: Which is the neighborhood? Brazos
1: River Acres. Brazos River
0: Acres.
2: We
1: need it. Let's bow our heads for a quick word of prayer. Father, we are just a thing we can get into your Word. May our hearts be open to receive what you have for us tonight. May we be, may the soil of our hearts be open and receptive as the seed is sown, and may it produce much fruit in our lives and in the lives of others. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to be going to the first eight verses of Jude. I tell you, this is one of the hardest studies I ever had to do because I have discovered that there is so much in the first eight verses of Jude because I'm going, it's one of the shortest books, but yet there's so much meat there there's so much to delve into there's so much that he expresses in these uh few verses that it's almost incomprehensible to get through it in even eight verses almost in one night but I'm going to make an effort if you're here to ten no problem all right just a little background on jude uh jude is actually a bit of a misnomer Uh, his name is actually Judas. (laughs) And the early translators of scripture decided they did not want to confuse everybody by making them think that this was written by Judas Iscariot, so they decided to make it Jude. Jude, most scholars believe, because in the very first verse, he opens up and he, when he says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, Most scholars believe, and I'm one of them, so I'll put myself into the most category, if that's all right, that this particular Judas is the brother of James, is referring to the brother of Jesus himself. Uh, Others say that he was probably Thaddeus in all actuality, the brother of James, the lesser of the apostles, but yet Jude here does not identify himself in any way as an apostle. And this is one thing that really amazes me in his introduction, because he introduces himself in two ways. One, a bondservant. How many know what a a real bondservant is? A bondservant, back in ancient Israel, and other cultures back then too, usually... They had slaves, but most slaves in Israel were um, indentured servants. They couldn't pay a debt, or there was a problem. And so they would sell themselves and sometimes their entire families into servitude uh, to someone in order to get that debt paid off. And, of course, after so many years, a year of jubilees, every seven years they were to be released from that debt from that bond but many times these individuals these servants decided that they loved their master so much he took care of him he was kind he wasn't one that would be his slaves or anything else he was very kind to them they got three squares a day they've got privileges uh, in that household and they liked it Everything was taken care of, room, board, whatever they need, clothing, all taken care of by the owner. And so they would say, I don't want to leave. And so what would happen is they would take the ear of that man who wanted to be, and they would put it up against a piece of wood, and they would take an awl and pound that through the ear, piercing the ear and then putting an earring in him, giving them the title, a bondservant, which meant also one that was there forever. And that's the way Paul (laughs) described himself so often. Almost every letter that Paul wrote, he described himself as a bondservant. He was forever for Jesus. He never wanted to leave. He never desired. He wanted just to do nothing but to be a slave for him. And then it says here that he was a brother to James. James. Now, he didn't make like he was some big authority. He could have said, yep, I am blood kin to Jesus. (laughs) He was my bro. He was my big brother. I knew, you know, he and I were tight within that carpenter shop. You know, he wasn't like John. I liked how the pastor... Last week talked about how John had his little ego problem, you know, a little bit who was going to sit at the right hand or the left hand, James and John. I always thought too, Pastor, that when he wrote the letter when he wrote his gospel, he always put in there seemed a little egoish to me when I was young, even going He described himself in John as the disciple that Jesus loved. As in comparison to the other eleven, which goes be <laughs> But yet you know, he could have bragged about being the brother of Jesus, but he didn't. He, his biggest brag was he had a brother named James. And so that's where he came from, a very humble man, who, but one who had an urgency to deliver a message that was needed to these believers. And it says, to those who are called, called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved and Jesus Christ. First he said, to the called. Who here is called? I hope you're all called in here. You're all called. You're all, you know, the, the word of God says that we are called by the Holy Spirit. We can't come to Christ unless the Holy Spirit calls us. When I was saved, I heard the call. I was sitting in my, Little apartment waiting to watch a Pittsburgh Pirate baseball game. I'm a Pirate fan. I'm sorry. Rangers are number two. I actually worked for the Rangers for a while. (laughs) But, um, But Pirates have always been my favorite team. And I was waiting for that game. And then right before that, Billy Graham came on. And my grandmother always had a habit of I had to listen to everybody when I was a kid. I mean, I wasn't saved. I went to church, but I wasn't saved at all. I mean, she made me listen to Rex Humbard, Billy Graham, Oral Roberts. Anybody that was on TV back in those days in the 50s and early 60s, I had to watch them. But finally, about 1968, that's when I got saved. I was waiting for the game to come on, and I was, couldn't wait for the Pirates, but Billy Graham came on. And, well, the message just hit me right in the heart that I knew I was called. He called me himself to be his so i was called and then i was sanctified he says he's writing it to those who are sanctified sanctified means we talked about it before set apart we are set apart for him we're not a part of the world our citizenship is not of this world it's in heaven we are sojourners we're strangers here we are in the world but not of it the bible says so we're set apart for him We're His chosen. We're His people. And then it says, we are preserved, which means we're guarded. We are kept by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. He helps us. If we're in tune with Him, if we're walking with Him, He keeps us in that walk. That's why it's so important. You know, one of the things that uh, just strikes me is how many people don't know. What's in the book? You know, they go. some people go to church. Some people, you know, they'll go to church. They'll go to Bible studies. They'll go to this conference and that conference. I haven't seen some of them even bring, they, they don't bring Bibles anymore. Or oh, some of them get it on their phones, but some just don't bring it at all. They just listen. And I'll tell you one thing right now. That's the danger in some ways that, we find ourselves in modern times similar to what was going on in Jude because we don't know what's in here to be able to defend the faith to be able to contend for the faith. we don't have many Christians don't have a clue they go they listen to a message, and what happens, whatever that minister up there says, whether it's a televangelist or whether it's a pastor of a local church or whether it's a mega church or whatever. He gets out there and he speaks. And they're going, well, that's gospel. it that has to be the truth. Why? Because he said it. But did the word say it? If he, What the preacher says, if it doesn't line up with this, that's one of the things I appreciate here. Because I'll tell you, I bring my Bible every single week. Because if the pastor says something, I might go, where do you get that? <laughs> but I have never had to do that. He backs up everything he says with God's Word and in context. And that's the important thing. Anybody can pull a verse out of context and take it to mean something else. It's like the age-old expression, you know, the person that would grab their Bible, put their finger in it, and point down like this. And the one time the one guy goes and puts it down, Judas went out and hung himself and says, Oh, that wasn't very good. Did it again. And they said, Go do likewise. You know. And so that's where they get, they try to get their direction in that way, but the direction comes from knowing the word and knowing it in context and studying it for yourself. Study to show yourself a workman approved unto God. That's what we're to do. That's what my group is all about studying to show yourself approved unto God. Get in there and study. All right, it was written, so it was written to believers, probably most of the believers he wrote it to were Jewish. And the only reason I am, Jewish believers, the only reason I'm saying that is because he uses a lot of references that were Old Testament stories that would have been so familiar to his the audience that he was. Yes, I'm sure there were Gentiles there. It's probable that he was writing to Jewish believers at that time. Then he comes, he says, Mercy. Peace and love be multiplied to you. Not the typical Pauline one where Paul greets him with grace and peace. But he says, mercy, peace, and love. And he just doesn't say, may that be. He says, may it be multiplied. I want you to abound in these areas. I want you to have abundant mercy because you're going to need it. I want you to have peace in the midst of what you're going through. You need to have peace. And above all, you need to love. And you need to love like no one else in this world loves. You need to demonstrate that love to one another and to the lost. I want it to be multiplied to you. I don't want you to be stagnant in it. I want you to have as much of that as you can get. Take it. Run with it. Go with it. And then he starts getting into it. He says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common faith, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So Jude is saying, I initially intended to write to you concerning the common faith that we all have. That was going to be my purpose That was my intent. I wanted to come to you and write to you and talk to you about, you know, we all have a common faith. It doesn't matter if you're male, female, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, slave, free, the salvation that's been offered by God is the same to everyone. The rich don't get an extra special dose that the poor... Nor does the poor get any more than the rich man or the woman and the male. We get the same common salvation. And he said, that's what I wanted to really talk to you about. I wanted to get together with you. We were going to talk about the faith we stand in, the gospel that we stand in, the truth that we stand in, the salvation that is common to every one of us. But he said, something's happened And the word in there, necessary, says I found it necessary. And that word necessary in there, in the Greek, was meant urgent, above all important. There was something more important. There's something going on that I can't talk about what I really intend to do. This is so important that I had to write now it wasn't going to wait until later it was necessary that I write this to you we've got to get this situation taken care of because it's necessary now for you to come and contend for the faith now he says I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to all the saints And here he delivers his sermon on what he wants. And I'm glad of one thing in here because obviously Jude was very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. How many of you ever had to start out, you were going to say something in a Bible study, a Sunday school class, or maybe you were delivering a talk somewhere, and you had it all planned out what you were going to do? what you were going to say, this is my topic. Man, I was going through the Gospel of John, you know, and we're going, this is my talk, I'm going all the way through and then suddenly though, the Holy Spirit decides he wants to change direction here momentarily. There's an issue that the Spirit wants you to speak on. And that's when we really need to be sensitive to what the Spirit says. If you, you know, Part of our prayer life, I always say most Christians, we only have a 50% prayer life. We get up there, we'll give a few thank yous, we'll give some praises to the Lord in our prayer time, maybe. And then we come to them with our 95 list of things that we want, healing, salvation for this, you know, all good things. And then we give them our requests and then what happens mostly after that? We walk away. We go, thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. Amen. I'm on my way. And then sometimes we wonder, why don't we get an answer? Why? Why aren't I getting an answer? Because sometimes God wants us to listen. Sometimes the Lord is saying, you know, prayer is like a conversation, I'll guarantee most of you guys, if you go home and you carry the conversation on with your wife and you're the only one that's allowed to talk, you're in trouble. Because your wife's going to want to give you some feedback. I know mine does. And that's the same way God wants to give us feedback. He wants to speak to our heart. Does God speak audibly? Sometimes. I'm not going to deny God can't speak audibly. Sometimes he speaks in that still small voice in your heart, in your mind. Sometimes it's through the word. Sometimes he'll speak through someone else and will confirm something that's going on. But God desires to have a communication back with you, he doesn't want it to be one way. And so Jude was obviously hearing from the Spirit. Something was going on and God was set an alarm going off in its head. It's like, I got a smoke detector at my house. I call it a smell detector. Because I'll tell you, I can't put toast on if that thing don't go off in the hallway. I'm going, what? It's only toast and I'm not even burning it. And the thing is off. And it's the same way with the Spirit. Sometimes God is giving you an alarm that he wants to do and that is what he's doing now there are several ways we can contend for the faith we can contend for the faith in a positive way and that positive way is when we give an unflinching witness we just we go out and we work and we serve others we train and become faithful ambassadors of Christ in our community in our homes in our schools in our jobs we become a faithful witness to him whether it's from the pulpit to your home doesn't matter. We become faithful witness. That's a positive way. We can contend in a negative way when we hold, withhold, support, withhold encouragement for those who compromise the faith. When we speak out against preaching the gospel, or speak out against a manner of living that contradicts the message of the gospel. We contend for the faith in a practical sense as well when we live our lives according to the word and according to what it comes out of our mouth. i got news for you. How many of you here have kids, small kids or had small children? Do any of you remember those times? How many have had your kids a little bit more grown now? Do you remember those times when you told your children, hey, in June of next year, we're going to do such and such on this date. We're going to go do this. June comes around, you haven't given it any more thought. But I got news. My kids have held on to that thought and they're there. Dad, tomorrow, you said last year. Tomorrow's the day we're supposed to go do this. And if we do that with our children, we have to realize that the world is looking at you and I as well. The world doesn't care what we say as much as what we do. Do we back up what we say with who we are and what we, do, how we live our lives? Are you living a life that's alive, whether it's on your job, whether it's in your home, or no matter where it is? That impacts people. People want to see what you're living. People want to see if you really say, I have faith, I have belief, I trust Jesus. And then the next thing that happens bad to you, you're falling apart. You lose the promotion on your job. And suddenly you're going around the office muttering about the person that got the promotion instead of you. And you're complaining and you're just yelling about it. And you're having this hissy fit. Days before that going, I'm just trusting Jesus. Jesus, I'm just trusting you. I'm not worried about it. You're telling people because Jesus is it doesn't happen. And we fall apart. It's happened to me. I've got it happen to me. I've done that. I've lived that. And it's easy to have that happen to you. And contending for the faith is part of living it out. And we need to live that out. Now the message that he found so necessary... Verse 4 it says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed. they come in the side door. Do you ever really see a, a false teacher come in through the front door with a name tag on? Have you? Do we have any around here? Have they come in?
0: Hi guys, I'm Bill, false teacher extraordinaire.
2: Thanks a
3: lot.
1: <laughs> Bill, if you'd have been here early, you'd have been wearing that. Thanks, <laughs> Bill. But what I really just want to point out, they don't come in like this. They don't come in wearing a name badge going, Hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm a false teacher. They come in through the back door. They come in through the side door. And it doesn't necessarily mean they come in to Generations Church or any church for that matter, so to speak. They come in in little Bible studies or they'll meet you on the street or they'll talk to you on your job or they'll talk to you in school or they'll talk to you somewhere else. But they will come in and do what they do, you know. Do you know the difference between sheep and goats that the Bible talks about? A sheep goes, Abba, Father. A goat goes, Yabat, yabat, yabat. And that's the way a lot of these work. Just like Satan in the garden when she told Eve, Did God really tell you that? Did God really mean for that? Did God really mean don't eat and touch that fruit? Causing you to question. Cults are famous for doing that. I mean, you get a Jehovah Witness come to your door, and I'll guarantee, through most Christians, if you're not into this word, don't know it, they'll have you confused in about the first 20 minutes and you want to throw them out the door and Go, because you can't defend. Most Christians... I had Dr. Walter Martin, one of the great cult teachers of all time, I believe, Dr. Walter Martin, come to seminary where I was. We're all seminary students, future pastors, missionaries, <laughs> and Bible school teachers. He comes in. And he said, we're going to do a little project here. I'm going to pretend I'm a Jehovah Witness. And you're going to be the Christians. And you knowledgeable young men out here, you're going to lead me to Christ. And I'm going to defend the Jehovah, be the Jehovah Witness. I tell you, it was less than ten minutes into that class... He had seminary students swearing at him and cursing him, <laughs> yelling and screaming at him because he could do they could not get into this and defend the Trinity, defend the deity of Jesus, defend the person of the Holy Spirit, the basic, simple things and John or Jude here was dealing with Christians who were having the same problem. Only this problem was a little bit even more, because it says in in verse four when it says for certain men have crept in unnoticed. I want to I want to get to the second part here. Who long ago were marked out for condemnation? I want to let you know, in that two little statements there, they crept in, and they were already marked for condemnation. Because even though we may not have noticed them creeping in, guess who did? God. God knew who they were. God is not taken by surprise at anything that goes on in this world. When I look at the news, and whether it's dealing with what's going on in Baltimore, or dealing with ISIS, or dealing with other. Situations that are going globally, whether it's Israel, the Middle East, or the Ukraine, or wherever, or Nepal, as tragic as those things are, I see Christians who get really angry. Let's kill every Muslim that's there in the world. Let's, you know, let's do this, and let's, a lot of <laughs> anger out there with people. God is not sitting up in heaven wringing his hands going, what are we going to do, folks? What are we going to do, angels? He's not. It's all part of his plan. He has it. Whether or not we believe it or not, he has the whole thing under control. And that's what he's saying here. It's just saying, they're already marked for condemnation. They keep it up. It's not. Going to, they're not going to have their way totally. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the main things that is going on here in this is that we see throughout the New Testament one of the problems with sexuality, sexual sin. It's throughout the Bible. You can't help but turn pages in the Bible anywhere and find out that the flesh of man, especially in the area of sex, gets in the way of a lot of things. David had that problem. The apple of God's eye the man that God, you know, Samuel anointed as king of Israel when he was a child, the man who slew Goliath, the man who defeated the Philistines and all the enemies around Israel. All it took was David going to the roof one time and looking at a chicken. It was all over. <coughs> and David blew it. And what was going on here, the the problem in this church was that there were, or in the body of Christ, I don't even wanna say a particular, it wasn't happening in just a particular building on the corner of the Appian Way and 4th Street. What was going on was taking place in the church, in the body of Christ as a whole. It wasn't people just coming into a building It was people going individually sometimes to the, we are the church. We meet in a building. And I will remind everybody, we're not called, and I don't mean this disrespectful, we're not called to go to church, we're called to be the church. And it's okay to meet like we are, and we need to, because we get fed, and we learn to serve, and we grow. But at the same time, we go. We must go beyond the four walls. And it's outside sometimes of the building is where these people creep in to the church as a whole. And it was taking place back then. And a lot of it had to do... You had the Nicolaitans. You had the Gnostics. You had others, and their whole idea was... And the Greeks had the philosophy too, and I didn't get a chance to look at Rome, but I'll bet you Rome did too, where in spiritually, your body was separate from your soul, from your spirit. And your spirit was saved, but your flesh could never be. So whatever your flesh did, Even though at times it was an enmity with your spirit, it was okay for your flesh to go ahead and do whatever it wanted to. It was okay. There was no bounds. There was no boundaries. Sex was running rampant. And they said it was all right. Back in the late 60s and 70s, uh, I don't know how I remember in the, during the Jesus People movement, but out in California it was big. One of the big cults out there at the time was David Berg, otherwise known as David Moses, and the Children of God. And their whole thing was: when we get to heaven, we're all gonna God's gonna have sex with all of us, and so we need to have sex down here with everybody we can. He would send out girls by the dozens and do what they called flirty fishing. And it's estimated that in just one area of Southern California, they did this; these girls did twenty-five thousand sexual acts on men to lead them into the cult. And this was very similar to what the Nicolaitans, the Gnostics—everything was okay to do in your flesh. There were no bounds. Today. Do you see any reality of, of this kind of thing sneaking into the church? I mean, we we decry homosexuality as getting, you know, more and more out in the forefront. The Supreme Court is now deciding whether or not same-sex marriage is okay throughout the entire country. And I'm not here to get into politics or anything else on that, but I want to... We, we're concentrated on that, but there's so many other things in the church. Do you realize that statistics show that 71% of Christian men are involved in pornography? One of every three women are involved in pornography, watching pornography. I don't mean performing it, watching it. We have others who we decry homosexuality, but there are so many people in the churches that are... And I've run into them as a pastor. And I've had to do a lot of ministry who are, quote-unquote, shacking up together. And the church doesn't blink an eye. Who are having premarital sex. Well, that's okay. And little by little, a lot of that started back in the 70s when, you know, the free love, the free thing, it all went on. And we began to gradually... And it just begins to creep in more and more where we allow where more and more comes into it. Paul dealt with it. Paul had to deal with it big time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul dealt with a young man who says he was having relations with his father's wife. So we have a combination of incest. It was probably a stepmother, actually, but still, the Bible, even the Old Testament in Leviticus 18 says that Relations with the stepmother is the same as incest. It is incest. And it was open in the church, and the church apparently, the Corinthian church, was accepting of it. And the danger of it is if you let it happen, if you let it go, Paul says in that same chapter, a little leaven spoils the entire love. In other words, if you let a, a, that continue on, then the rest of the church begins to go off. Well, if they can do it, I can get away with that too. I can do it. There must not be anything wrong with it. They're not saying anything about it. But it has creeped in in a lot of different ways. Most of the cults, Mormons and Jehovah's, they're right out in the front. But some of these other things, when it comes to lewdness and it says they've denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Very similar to what Second Peter 2, talking about a He talks almost exactly in Second Peter chapter two, the same thing that Jude is talking about. What is going on? Denying the Lord Jesus Christ, because many of the Gnostics, many of the Nicolaitans, and others believe that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. He came in the spirit. He appeared like he was flesh, but he really wasn't. He was this. uh, The New Agers would call it like an ascended master somebody special that just came down like Muhammad and Buddha and all the rest of them and Confucius all I got news the rest of them you can go visit their graves the evidence of Jesus is there's an empty tomb the evidence isn't that there's a body the evidence is the lack of it and anyway so he says he wanted to in verse 5 he says I want to remind you Though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. Now, he begins to enter into the fact that he's warning them. He's saying, there is such a danger in here that I want to remind you of the fact. I'm going to remind you with three or four different ways here of what God does of a warning I'm giving you of the sin that's there. I mean, when Paul dealt with the man, the young man within, he says, get him out of the church. He didn't mean the man couldn't come and hear the word of God, but he meant you weren't to have the same kind of fellowship. You weren't to go to the same place as he did. You weren't to do that kind of thing and invite him to those kind of things. To put him out, he says, to turn him over to Satan. Not that he would be there, but that he would... End up being shamed and would come back to Christ. he would be such conviction. I shook you up really bad, didn't I? Uh, I
2: know
1: and in second Corinthians, I think it's chapter two, we find out that apparently that that young man did come back to Christ, so the Paul's truth about doing what he did came about. And here he's though, here Judah saying, I'm warning you, the Israelites, they went out there in Kadesh Barnea, and one more time around the mountain, 40 years, you guys because of their unbelief, they're not going to enter in. And that whole generation died off except for Caleb and Joshua, the only survivors because they believed and trusted God to go in to Canaan and that they could defeat the people of Jericho. They had trust in the Lord. But the other one said, nah. So for 40 years they ran out there until God says, I had to destroy them all because of their unbelief. And then it says in verse six, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved to everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of the great day. <laughs> so God is going, hey, you guys are humans. Now we're talking angels. If God isn't sparing angels, what do you think he's going to think of you in doing this? Now I could get into a whole teaching about the angels and where they sin and left their first abode and heaven and everything else that goes along with it but we don't either have the time for that nor do I have the inclination to get into it but you know because there's a whole other different theology as to why these angels were chained and it's unimportant but the warning was there that God didn't spare the angels but he put turned them over for chains that were everlasting to darkness and then he goes into Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah. We're real quick, for the most part, when we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities that were around them, yes, they were involved in some absolute horrendous sin. And a lot of it, we read in Genesis, had to do with sexuality. But that's not the only thing. In Ezekiel 16:49, God gives a warning to Israel, and I find this interesting, he says, it gives us another look at Sodom, and says, look, this is the iniquity of your sister Sodom, and he actually referred to the Jews in putting Sodom as their sister. She and her daughter, Gomorrah, had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness, Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Sexual depravity. So, oh, and there, the poor and the needy. So, sexual depravity was not the only sin of Sodom. Sodom, you could say, was a modern-day prosperity-believing town. Economy was everything. Getting wealthy was all of it, and we don't really give a rat about the poor. They were healthy. They were wealthy. And the poor and the destitute meant nothing. And who do sometimes we see fighting today? We fight over politics over the poor. One believes we should do it this way. Another party believes we should do it another way. And the problem is that the poor don't get any help one way or the other because they're too busy arguing over the situation to actually get in there sometimes and do anything. Now that's my political comment for the day. But we have here the fact that promiscuity and in the last days, in Revelation, John tells us that the last day church, the church of Laodicea was the church that was wealthy had pride we are rich we have need of nothing And jesus said you don't know that you are wretched blind naked and poor and i will spew you out of my mouth and we see that worldwide is beginning to come in we see it coming in all the time we're in danger and i'm only speaking this with jude here is that we need to be prepared in ourselves that we don't get entrapped into how these people got ensnared by false teachers that we are aware of not only what the word is but we're living out the word but we don't care who's rich we don't care who's poor we don't care if it's male female jew gentile muslim we're going to take the word to whoever and whomever we can because that's what god wants us to do and he wants us to live it out and it says, the last verse in verse 8, Likewise, also these dreamers, Oh, like, dream on, boy. They dream. Dream of super big airplanes to do certain things. That's a hint. They dream of big, claim they have big visions. It's hard to argue with someone that says, I should even show something sometimes to someone who said, I don't care what that says. God told me. God gave me a dream. God gave me a vision. Yes, God gives dreams. Yes, God gives visions. I no longer have visions. I'm an old man. I dream dreams. That's what the scripture says. Old men dream dreams. But there's those who believe in taking what they can. Dreaming, using the flesh, it says they defile the flesh, they reject authority real quick, I just remember one man. you'll probably know who I'm talking about <coughs> as I get into it there was, i I remember that how many remember jim Baker Jim Baker fell into sin, no question. But there was a certain other big evangelist TV preacher got on television, spouted off on Nightline about how Jim Baker needed to come under authority and needed to repent and everything else. And it wasn't but two weeks later this man was found with prostitutes. And he refused authority. He refused to submit himself. He refused any kind of counseling and help. These are the kind of people we're talking about. They don't respect authority other than their own. They believe they are the all and all on on a lot of this. And it says, and they speak evil of dignitaries. And that speaking evil of dignitaries isn't talking about politicians. So I'm not going to lay on anything on Hillary Clinton or any of the other ones. But the dignitaries here is they don't care for other spiritual leaders. They don't care about other people who are speaking the truth, and try to speak the truth to them in love, because to them, they are the epitome of what their own truth is, and everything else is a lie to them, when in fact it's just the opposite. They don't recognize the authority of the world. The world today doesn't recognize, very little of the world today recognizes the authority of the Word of God. And as a result, we see things more and more collapsing in on themselves. But again, God has it all under control. I'm not worried. I'm not going to fret. I'm not going to wring my hands. I'm not going to worry. But I am going to do one thing so I don't fall down into it. And that's I'm going to stay in this. I'm going to stay true to him. I'm going to stay in prayer. And I'm going to stay teaching and preaching what this says, no matter what the rest of the world says because this is where I stand. This is the truth I contend for. This is what Jude wanted the people to do. Contend for the truth. Don't be taken in by the charlatans. Contend for the truth. Because in the long run, doesn't matter what what happens in the world, what only matters is what God thinks. Doesn't matter what the governor thinks, the mayor thinks, the president thinks, the senate thinks, the supreme court thinks, i got news. God's Word word trumps man-made law. We're to obey the laws of the land, yes, but only until us it conflicts with the Word of God, but we stand on this. I cry out with John and Peter, for we'd rather obey God than man. And that's where I stand. And I hope you stand there. Pastor, I'll turn it over to you. Um,
0: he gives a place for opinions uh at the end of the things that Jude was dealing with, and we see some of these things in our day. everybody Thank you by the way, Carl good job, thank you for being so well prepared. Yes, like last week's
3: lesson, you know verse nine talks about the uh, di who thought he had preeminence over everybody else and wouldn't receive other teachers coming, wouldn't allow his members to entertain other missionaries coming. This is that same type of usurper that had snuck into the position of a church and had turned it into exactly what Jude is talking about by not allowing him to have contact with the other people taking the word out of God to others. So a
0: diatrophies kind of guy.
3: Yeah. good. Pulled himself.
0: What else? Bill?
3: As I've read this, uh, you read it for content, and that's what I got out of it. But I just received a different impact because you slowed it down. And by reading it much slower, mine by the line, the impact is probably really tenfold on me just
2: sitting
3: at home, reading
0: it, you know, before the lesson. Okay, that's true. Yeah, yeah, okay. that's yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. no. no. oh. impact level. Wow. Oh. Oh. Carl, you show us how it's done. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's good. Somebody else. <clears throat> All like right, this this problem that uh, he was dealing with, do we see this in our day? Mm-hmm. Give us some examples without naming names, per se.
3: How about Bruce Jenner?
0: They'll be on the weed. <laughs> <laughs> some so
1: we're not naming names.
0: <laughs> well,
2: everybody is. Target the yeah. more important than you know, earthquakes oh, yeah. and the volcanoes and the wars. Yeah. You know, it's like, sure. oh, let's put it back on the weed box. Yeah. Yeah, where are we going, this society?
0: You know, I thought it would be on the fruit you know, That th- that particular temptation he's wrestling with, uh, they didn't wrestle with that a hundred years ago. I mean, you are who you were, but now possibility of change, but. I'll I'm going to you. be changed from being a handsome man into a weird-looking woman. I mean, that's not a temptation for everybody, but it is a temptation for some people. And that sounded cruel. But I don't well, think just,
1: I don't think that in most cases that's going to make anyone any happier if they're just by changing your outward appearance doesn't yeah. change what's going on on the inside. Yeah, he, he really
0: needs our prayer. I mean, there's some people who've yeah, done that. Absolutely. and have changed back and forth. That's why they they slowed it down. You got to take a year and all that. And, and my my concern is is not him, but it's those that are watching this. children with identity issues who've bonded with their mom more than their dad for whatever reason um, There are certain counselors that are recommending delayed puberty, so the kid takes drugs to delay their puberty so so the kid can decide the gender they want, and then it's much easier easier to change your gender when pu- puberty kicks in. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a well, tough deal. Um, why it's anyway.
3: up is only because that bottom line is, it's okay. And, you know, because it's just the sex, the, the it's okay. And that's what's being killed yeah, in right. our, our younger generation. and Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, dangerous.
1: Very dangerous. I think it's like what the pastor said in the one sermon. It was a week ago or so, when you're talking about, <laughs> about being happy. It, it, the thing comes back is whatever makes you happy.
0: You know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But short lived. I mean, it's tough, man. I, I watched it all because I, you know, I want to be in touch with what's happening no, in the world. It's like, man. His kids. I feel for his kids. I feel for him. I mean, it's just...
1: I feel for all those who down. grew up watching this, this hero at the Olympics, yeah. and uh, yeah. because he was, he was a great uh, Olympian athlete. Go ahead.
2: No, I was going to just say, you know, that's, that's a cultural thing and from, from a church thing or a Christian thing, you know, what Jude is writing here, he really is writing to a group of believers. He's not writing to a, a bunch of Gentiles, so right. to speak. And this is where I think we have to focus. We, as a church, you know, Carl, you hit it on the, the nail on the head when you said that we've got to contend for the truth, and we've got to be watching to make sure that the truth is being preached from the pulpit. Yeah. and there are so many pulpits where people are beginning to hear, yeah, it sounds like truth, but it's just skewed just enough to where it's going to lead those people that receive that word right down the tubes. You know, yeah. it's the Rob Bell's of the world, and you know we didn't we didn't want to talk about naming names, but mm-hmm. you know, or it's it, it's so many of the of, of the big name people that are dismissing, you know, the fact that yeah. We have these, we have the letters that were written 2,000 years ago, but they're no longer applicable today. No, that's absolutely wrong. Yeah. And we gotta, we need yeah. to get our act together as a body yeah. or a group of bodies and yeah. make sure that we're watching that. But
1: well, what it shows in there of Jude is they're dealing the church back then with Paul and Mullen we're dealing with quite a number of the same problems exactly they are dealing right.
2: with in the church exactly today. Exactly right. And wow. it's interesting, you know, the third John, you know, he, hammering about truth and you're talking about continuing for truth and this is all leading up, I, I don't think the canonization of the scriptures was done by accident the way that they're lined up yeah. in, in, in the Bible I think it's on purpose very purposeful that we're seeing okay we need to be continuing for the truth and oh by the way here comes Revelation. yeah, yeah. revelation well, Praise Jesus Praise oh. Jesus yeah, right. All right.
0: even so, come Lord Jesus. Yeah, so I know he's talking about the truth of the gospel, but do you guys think the truth itself is important? It yes. has to right? be. Yeah. If it is, then I mean, why? Yeah. And yeah. obviously, uh, speaking evil of church dignitaries <laughs> isn't good, but there are other scriptures that tell us to pray for those that are in authority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So I think this applies to that, too. We yeah. have to be careful. Everything we say about our letters, our leaders elected and not elected, Things we're saying is true. Yeah, okay. We've got to be people of the truth.
2: Well, that's. Uh, otherwise, it
0: hurts our witness. We've got to be sure it's true. And the same thing goes with law enforcement. Sure, there's some there's some bad guys out there, but there's a lot of good guys too. Yeah. And um, I kind of relate law enforcement, which is under the gun with the press right now, as honeybees. <laughs> to enjoy the sweetness of honey, you have to deal with the bees. Yeah. <laughs> And you deal with them appropriately or you will be sorry. To enjoy the sweetness of law and order and peace in our land, we have to deal with the honeybees or our police force. And Romans 15 calls them God's ministers who do not bear the sword in vain. And so we've got to honor them. And the fact that some of them are corrupt, we really should honor them because uh, they're not to be trifled with. I had a dream uh, years ago. It turned into a word for somebody that was heading the wrong way. I had done something wrong with my vehicle, got pulled over, and got arrested. And I'm being handcuffed, and I'm put in the squad car, you know, very gently. And as I'm getting in the squad car... One of the officers dropped something in my shirt pocket. And so I'm sitting in the car. The door's shut. I can't get it out of my pocket. And I realized evidence had been planted on me. And I woke up. And I thought, this has no doubt happened to people, right? No doubt happened to people. Some corrupt cop tend to crime on me. But if I hadn't been living to the edge of lawlessness... I wasn't making myself vulnerable to corrupt crops, right? So now I'm going to face punishment saying I'm innocent, and meanwhile, if I had just been a little extra cautious, you know, it, every year people fall in, I've read, I heard the other day, every year people fall into the Grand Canyon. Yeah.
2: They climb that fence did.
0: and they wind up falling, splat. You you stay away from danger as best you can. Anyway, and I think, so speaking evil of dignitaries is something that um, we, we just need to be careful for if we're going to contend for the truth. Uh, he spoke about the importance of sexual purity in our lives. Yeah, we want to blast those gays. Meanwhile, we've got things going on in our lives that aren't right, okay. right? And so, same thing there. We don't want to be spoken evil of, but... We've got to be sure that we're speaking the truth always, too.
1: You well, know, I Carl. No, that's right. okay. One of my thoughts of those, you know, Scripture says that um, Paul says he worship of all things, that we would pray for those that are in authority mm-hmm. over us, which includes, you know, from the president on down. And I really believe, now this is just my personal opinion, is that I've often wondered if we... Don't have, you know, we complain about the government so much, and various politicians. And, I mean, I see it online all the time, you know, just, and on the news, you know, just one party or whatever, and even Christians bashing whoever. And I'm going, I often wonder if we have the government we have, because Christians don't take that part of the word serious enough, to be praying for our leaders, we complain more than we pray. Mm-hmm. Or if we pray, I've seen some people actually pray, oh, I pray that this person gets cancer and dies in office. And I've actually seen that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And I'm going, well, you know, fun. no. You know, this isn't that could
0: function. boomerang on you.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: You've to be careful. And,
1: uh, you know, it's, we need to pray for our leaders, you know, pray for their salvation, pray for God's wisdom to... Uh, to, to permeate their hearts and everything that the decisions they make that would be godly ones would be good, you know, for the benefit of everyone. And I just sometimes believe we just don't pray enough. We complain more than we pray. You know, yeah. Pastor
3: Esther speaks prevalently to that very thing of prayer. He said, you know, have all the people pray for three days and fast because if I go before the king uninvited, I'm killed. Well, who do you think they were praying for, Esther or the king? Because the king had given the, the edict in the law that they had signed it that all of them were going to be massacred in the first Holocaust, and they couldn't they couldn't they wouldn't be allowed to protect themselves. And she had to that prayer for the king to be wise and considerate and thoughtful. He could have had her killed on the spot and when she people. walked in
0: the room. Yeah. She, she was not invited. Yeah. Well, you, you consider the kind of government they lived under when the New Testament was written. Yeah. They could have been bashing Nero and the Caesars yeah. and all that stuff. They never did it. Followed the example of Jesus. Rendered the respect to yeah. Caesar that's Caesar's, which was
1: taxed. And God, what is God? Rome was very aggressive, and yet Paul said pray for him. That's right, that's
0: right. That's good. I
1: may be beheaded by some but praying for him as I'm going down. First off, thank you for the official unmute. <laughs> Sorry, I can't mute the official yeah. voice. <laughs> well, no, no. No, it just says unmuted, you know, so so here we go. Um, biggest thing I got out of this is Truth. Without truth, you don't have justice. Without truth, you don't have compassion. Without truth, you don't have any of this. And and the foundation of everything we talked about based is based on truth. That's what yep. Jude is trying to give us: truth. The word is yep. this. This is true. Work from here. Mm. And any more today, truth is getting lost.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah absolutes are being uh, watered down.
2: And I would have to believe the uh, the evil one knows all about that, so that's why he's deep in the middle of it.
0: Yeah, the fee- the feelings trump our feelings are trumping our the truth. Um, I I read somewhere the other day, there's in the last days there'd be a lack of self control. Yeah. that's good. Well, thank you, brother.